In 2022, spending on lobbying reached new heights in New York as more than $330 million was spent to influence government activities in the Empire State, up about 13% from 2021. For more on the spending, which was largely driven by organized labor and the healthcare industry, we're joined once again by Sandy Berland, the executive director of the Commission on Ethics and Lobbying in Government, the state government watchdog, which compiled the lobbying spending figures as part of its annual report. Welcome back to the show, Sandy. Great to be here. So as I mentioned at the top, a lot of the media coverage about lobbying spending totals have focused on the new record levels of spending, as well as a lion's share of this money coming from organized labor and healthcare interests. But from your perspective, what, if anything, stands out from the lobbying spending numbers to you? The interesting thing from my perspective is that the lobbying spend is really spread around a fairly large group. You know, if you look at the top 10 uh, lobbying spenders, they really only account for a comparatively small percentage overall of the total spend. It's barely 7% that they make up, which means that the remaining 93 is is quite widely spread around. Uh, There's also a, a, a different mix between... Uh, expenses and fees between the top group of of spenders uh, uh, and the bulk of those who are engaged in lobbying and paying for lobbying activity. Most of the dollars are going into fees, uh, and less so in expenses overall. Does that mean anything to you? Uh, Well, you know, we're we're waiting for those who concentrate in this kind of thing uh, in the academic community and the financial community uh, to do their analyses. Uh, and we certainly don't want to steal their thunder or preempt them. So really wait, waiting with interest to see um, how, how this all breaks down. But the entire data set, the entire lobbying data set, and not just for this year, but going back for a number of years, is going to be available to everybody uh, on the OpenNY platform in the, in the coming weeks. Let me put it that way. There's some technical challenges. It's the largest data set that that platform has ever hosted. So there are some technical challenges involved, but everybody's working on getting that done. And so uh, everyone with an interest will be able to access the entire body of lobbying registration uh, and reporting information shortly. Well, what do you anticipate people who are interested will use that data set to do? Is this just about making information easier for reporters to compare and contrast? Is it about uh, academia? Or is this something that organizations like yourself, government watchdogs, can utilize to better police these different players under your jurisdiction? I mean, you know, surely from our perspective, uh, how, how money is, is being spent, where it's being spent, is something that attracts our attention in terms of what we do. By law, we, we conduct uh, random audits of lobbying filings. In 2022, as the report indicates, we conducted about 800, our audit group conducted about 800 audits, so we're looking very closely uh, at these filings. But I, th- I think there are a number of things that the experts will be looking at uh, overall, from a policy perspective, how impactful that money uh, appears to be based on uh, lobbying targets, uh, intended goal of, of the lobbying activity, and what the outcomes were to the extent you can tie those kinds of things together. Uh, so I think there'll be a lot of focus on that. There'll be a focus on, on where the lobbying activity is primarily focused, whether it's on, at, at the agency level, whether it's at the legislative end, 
uh, whether it's at the executive part. The numbers the numbers are pretty interesting when you when you get into them from that perspective. But again, it's 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 uh, there's a lot of data, there's a lot of information, and a lot of analysis that needs to be done. Uh, and and I'm looking forward to seeing what the academics, uh, what the press. Uh, and what the financial community uh, and the policy community derives from that data. It's, it's a big, it's a big jump. You know, we're we're back past the lower levels we saw do- during the pandemic, so we've exceeded that 2019 prior record. Uh, and it looks like the numbers are going up. And they're also tracking. I think we had a, a little chart in the annual report that shows that lobbying spending uh, is 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 generally tracking where the budget is going, uh, state budget, and and also where inflation is heading. Yeah. So you mentioned reporters and the different way people might use this data. And I know that my peers at the Capitol often use this lobbying data to expose maybe who's pushing certain issues or making connections between lobbyists and campaign contributions. As a government watchdog, do you dive into these lobbying numbers to begin to look for any forms of corruption? Does it prompt any investigations that you might be exploring in the future? We are monitoring lobbying activity, if you will, not not entirely real time because there's a lag from the time activity takes place to when lobbyists are required to file their bi-monthly reports. But we, we see the activity, our staff sees that activity as it's reported relatively soon after it occurs. And we've got an eye on that. We have other sources of data that we are looking at. So in addition to auditing individual filings that are made, we're also looking at the data flow as it's coming in. And we're looking at other activities that are taking place that may or may not fall within the purview of required lobbying filing. So we're, 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 we're looking at things from many, many different perspectives. We're not just focused on uh, the data, if you will. Well, sticking with the investigatory authority of the organization, on one of your pages, I think page 78 of the report, there's uh, some summaries of investigation work in 2022. And there's a note about 155 tips, complaints, and reports received in 2022 with two investigations opened during that same calendar year. How should the public think about those two numbers Overall, we've, we've processed quite a few uh, tips, complaints, and referrals, uh, as well as self-initiated uh, inquiries, as well as having you know, a substantial number of carryover matters from the prior agency. As, as, I, as I, I think the public is generally aware, we were in a rebuilding process, beginning with the advent uh, of COLIC uh, last July, July 2022. Since that time, we have essentially rebuilt our investigation and enforcement division from the ground up. We have a new director. We have a new deputy director. uh, We have a new investigator. We have two additional investigators uh, coming in. We have a couple of new counsel uh, we are recruiting. Uh, We've augmented that part of the operation. We now have a very deep bench with deep experience in public integrity matters uh, and in financial uh, compliance matters. Very, very deep bench with uh, individuals with a good deal of experience in the field. Uh, We didn't uh, have our new director on board until March of this year and a deputy uh, in April. 
And so what, what you're seeing in the 2022 report is the effect of uh, a rebuilding process going on. We're now in a mode uh, where far more uh, matters will be moving along more expeditiously than we were able to uh, while we were in the, in, 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 the, in the process of rebuilding that group. Well, we're more than halfway through calendar year 2023. Do you have any sense of what the ratio might look like when this year is all said and done? Do you anticipate we'll have, say, well in excess of two investigations open? Will it be comparable to, say, you know, the final years of J-COPE when I think they launched uh, 13 investigations in 2020 and maybe eight or nine investigations uh, in 2021? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to be <laughs> well in excess of, of, of that number. You'll, you'll see the reports as they come out with our, our uh, monthly meeting, our next formal uh, full commission meeting. We have we have a special meeting taking place for special topics having primarily to do with follow-up from our annual hearing in March. But our full uh, September 27th meeting, we'll, we'll have the full statistical breakdown for the year to date, uh, as well as for the monthly period. Uh, and I, I, I think you'll see that we are uh, uh, going to achieve a much higher number. Uh, you know, I don't want to predict. I don't want to get ahead of where we are on things. Every case is handled on an individual basis. Uh, there are procedural changes from the old law, from from uh, the Public Integrity Reform Act passed law, which was replaced by the uh, Ethics Commission Reform Act of 2022, which does give staff additional autonomy, if you will. In moving investigations along, and I see, I, I think the public will see the effect of that. I can't talk about, as you know, uh, individual matters, but the, but the numbers are going to be there. Well, you mentioned that March hearing, and we spoke with uh, yourself as well as the chair uh, back in April, and you mentioned how you were in the process of reviewing and sort of processing the the testimony that you received, both written and and in oral form. Now that it's been about five months since then. What changes or improvements or other ideas from that hearing have you begun to implement or plan on implementing for this ethics watchdog? One major thing that corresponds to recommendations that were made through that hearing process is uh, providing the entire lobbying data set uh, on OpenNY. So that's one outcome of that. Our communications group, which, which has also been rebuilt from the ground up and expanded, is pushing out a good deal more information. We, we now have full use of social media, and I'm sure the press has seen a good deal of the work that Emily DeSantis, our uh, Director of Communications and Public Affairs, has been putting out. That's part of that. We're going to have some legislative proposals. Uh, I think that we'll be pushing forward in the next legislative cycle. As a result of the hearing, we've put more emphasis uh, on encouraging tips to be brought to us. We've made it uh, abundantly clear. We think it was clear before, but we made it even clearer that those can be submitted to us anonymously. And we think that's already begun to have an impact. And there are a number of other things we'll be talking about next week on the 13th when the commission convenes to, to work through the plan for implementation. There were quite a few recommendations. Some of them were already uh, in implementation by the agency. Uh, others are, are fresh, uh, and, and many are the result of initiative from the commissioners themselves uh, and from staff, uh, in many respects inspired by the communications we received as part of the public hearing process.
well, the 2024 legislative session is still a few months away, but can you give us maybe a little taste of uh, some of the statutory changes uh, you'll be looking for from state lawmakers and Governor Kathy Hochul? I don't want to get ahead of the commission. I, th- I think among the things that I think may be on the agenda are a sort of re- repeat of some of the requests that have been made by prior agencies, for example, to have uh, monetary penalties associated with a couple of the subdivisions of Section 74 of the Public Officers Law, which, which is the state ethics code, code of conduct. There are a couple of provisions that, that do not currently have penalties associated with them. Uh, I know from staff's perspective, we would like to see monetary penalties assigned to those. There has been a long history of wanting to have accessorial accomplice liability for violations of the public officer's law uh, made part of the law. Uh, That may be one of our, our asks. We'd like to see some adjustments in the way the open meetings law works, frankly, to facilitate uh, being able to use more technology in making information available with with less reliance in certain settings uh, on the physical presence requirement. Uh, We think that will help push information out. Uh, And then there are a number of other things that are being discussed that are no less important but are going through the process. And, and, and we hope to have that agenda finalized in the next couple of months, well, well before the legislative cycle begins. Will you be pursuing any changes to the state constitution, which might enshrine some of your legal authority, which is being questioned in the courts right now as a way to potentially head off some of those challenges? We don't typically comment on pending litigation. No, no, I'm just talking about your yeah. constitutional interest uh, by the legislature. Is there any interest in having, you know, what you guys believe is your authority maybe uh, enshrined more specifically in the state constitution? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, my, my own view is that, that I think concepts of, of checks and balances uh, – as well as concepts of separation of powers, afford ample ample authority for an independent uh, ethics agency uh, in our state. Uh, and so, from from that perspective, uh, we're 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 comfortable with where we are. You know, at, on, on the other hand, let's see what the courts have to say, uh, and we'll be guided by that. And and what what next steps, if any, need to be taken. Well, finally, I know that in this first year, a lot of your focus and emphasis has been on uh, ethics training. And I'm curious now that you have that experience uh, under your belt, is that something that kind of runs on autopilot moving forward? Or is that going to continue to take up a a lot of yours and the agency's time? I wish I could say it could run on autopilot. Everyone, and not just in this agency, but everyone in every uh, affected executive branch agency, there are nearly 400 of them, have been working extremely hard to implement uh, what I'll call the universal workforce ethics training requirement. You know, we've we've gone from uh, a prior mandate to provide uh, ethics training triennially to to a limited number uh, of members of the workforce, those who file financial disclosure statement, some 35 or 36,000, that's every three years, so about 10,000 a year. Now, now we are asked to train either live, uh, which can be online, uh, or in person, 
uh, or or online the entire executive workforce. Over 300,000 individuals uh, have to get some kind of training every single year. That's a 30-fold increase uh, in it. We, we are very proud of the fact that we and all of the agencies and their ethics officers uh, and others who have participated in training have, have, have succeeded in training over 84,000 individuals. But, but we're not there yet. We're not at that, that full 300,000 that's going to take uh, some time to get in place. We're confident we're going to get there. There's, there are, are, are systems, data systems that need to be built, scheduling systems, monitoring systems, compliance systems that need to be built. And agencies have to make sure they're going to have the resources uh, to keep this up. So um, I, I, don't, I don't see autopilot. We have expanded, uh, as, as we've expanded the entire agency, we're going, as you know, from uh, uh, roughly uh, a full-time equivalent count of 47 individuals to to 68. So we're growing substantially, and, and a, uh, a chunk of those positions have gone into the training function. Uh, but but we're just not there yet. It's going to take it's going to take a while. It's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of monitoring. Well, we've been speaking with Sandy Berland. He is the executive director of the Commission on Ethics and Lobbying in Government. Sandy, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. And Dave, thank you so much. Uh, we, we fully appreciate it. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.